WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You're tuned into Exposure, Michigan State's student-run news program here live on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rezel. Due to some unexpected circumstances, this exposure was canceled tonight. Thankfully, here with the Exposure team, we are cool, calm, and collected. We're always pretty cool, but you know, being calm and collected is up for debate. But thankfully tonight, due to our incredible staff here, we did pull together an episode just for all of you listeners out there. We'll be starting off tonight with my interview with Phil Olson. He's the assistant editor with Exceptions Journal. We'll also be talking about an upcoming accessible art event. From there, I'll go to my interview with Derek uh, Blaylock. He's biking starting tomorrow over to Indianapolis uh, through Friday, biking for Tommy's Heart. More on that later. From there, we'll go to an interview with Circa Waves, a British band done by Impact Music reporter Mackenzie McNeil. After that, we'll go to A.J. Moser, an interview that I had with him earlier today on Bagelgate. And, uh, you know, interesting story right there and uh, how his video went viral, making it waves all across the Internet. We'll close out the show tonight with Quinn Hoffman as he introduces Michigan Storytellers. Again, first up tonight, we'll be going to my interview with Phil Olson, the assistant editor over at the Exceptions Journal and his upcoming Accessible Art event. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rezel. I'm here today with Phil Olson, the assistant editor over at Exceptions Journal. How are you today? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, how about we start off with an introduction, a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do over at the journal. Okay, uh, I'm Phil Olson. I'm a neuroscience student here at Michigan State. Um, right now, I'm an assistant editor, but really, I just kind of do anything that the club calls for, so... Whether it, whether that would be you know media or editing creative works or you know writing a blog post here and there anything that I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when we were uh, emailing each other, you know, yeah, uh, earlier this week, you mentioned that you also volunteer at a hospital. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I'm at McLaren, so mm. just helping out. Uh, anything I can do there as well. Mostly, it's you know patient interaction and. Making sure everyone's comfortable, getting them water, mm. you know, snacks, stuff like that. Sure, sure. Yeah. For our listeners out there who aren't familiar, what is Exceptions Journal? So uh, Exceptions is a journal that takes in creative works, whether it be poems, artwork, uh, you know, short stories, autobiographies, anything um, from people with atypical vision or who have any sort of visual impairment. And... Um, Basically, we just kind of compiled all these different creative works of art and uh, made a journal. So that's that's mm-hmm. our goal, and we've we're there. Now, uh, is this like an online journal? Is this physical, or is it both? Or yeah, uh, so we have a website, except exceptionsjournal.com, and um, that we have a lot of our creative works there, including stuff from our own staff to blog posts about different, uh, you know, visually imp- like news from the visually impaired in the community in Lansing or anything. Mm. And um, we also have, so our debut journal coming out is actually an audio book 
and a uh, just a regular book as well. So it's a pairing. It's for the entire disability spectra, so anybody can experience it. And it's mm-hmm. uh, being debuted uh, in, on April 14th. Okay, so this is this is a pretty recent project then. So this is just starting up. Uh, yeah, or... well, I mean, we just finished the first journal, so. Sure. The whole oh. thing is, you know, pretty new, but we're mm-hmm. excited about finishing up the first uh, volume. So Sure. So what, when did the, I guess, the idea for the journal, when, when did that first get started? Um, when it got started, I'm not sure, but um, basically what happened was around the time, I, I don't know how long the club had been around, um, but basically the, the founder of the club, Craig Pearson, and uh, the current um, director, our, our student director, uh, Katie Grimes, they kind of brainstormed an idea they wanted to make something inclusive for the students here and get people to come out and you know experience what exceptions journal does mm-hmm. and um there was a exhibit in new york by a guy an artist named roy Nietzsche, and what he did was he made oil paintings and he kind of overlaid the oil painting over braille which can kind of made it in a accessible art to the visually impaired because they could wow. feel the paintings yeah so this has been done before but uh we wanted to uh, create something um, similar to it that we could get the community involved and have it be available to anyone with any sort of visual disability. So. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in this upcoming first release, do you have really any any favorite stories or like pieces that stick out to you that you know you're willing to share? Um, well, there's a few sh- short stories in there that I don't want to give away, but sure, yeah, definitely the short stories are my favorite. You know, mm-hmm. the poems. Um, I appreciate 100%, but I connect. I definitely connect more with most of the short stories. And sure. there's interviews and all different types of things in there that people are going to enjoy. So. Mm-hmm. so you said this is coming out on April 14th? Yeah, so the whole event, uh, both the, the Accessible Art event and the uh, debut issue of Exce- Exceptions Journal is uh, being paired and uh, debuting on April 14th. Sure. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, the Accessible Art event. Okay. Um, so that's coming up on April 14th. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Again, I guess, you know, for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, what what is Accessible Art Event? Is it kind of like in the same vein as a journal, except more of a, a public event rather than just a publication? Or um, Well, the journal itself is, um, it's not, it's, it's not really paired with the event, but the event is still for people with visual disabilities. So basically there's going to be uh, two long tables set up in that, Eli Broad Art Museum, and um, they're going to have 16 to 17 paintings on there, and it's going to be the painting similar to Roy Nietzsche's where there's a, some sort of tactile element to it so that people with visual disabilities can feel the artwork. And um, they'll also receive a packet when they come in that has Braille mm-hmm. and uh, also um, Roman characters as well so that people with visual disabilities and people with... Um, uh, normal vision can both experience it and these will be paired with uh, seven poems set up along the museum which are above the paintings mm-hmm. and uh, so the the pamphlet that you get is going to have these poems and these poems were inspired by the painting so both the paintings and the poems are going to be inspired by each other and it's just going to be like a um, one big like experience for for everyone wow so. now is this all uh, student art here is this coming in from the public yeah, so basically these poems were made by students in the English department and the 
artwork was, were made by students in the art department. So everything made at this exhibit is from uh, students here at State. So Wow. Yeah. Um, so now is this event open open to the public? Yeah, it's open to the public. Sure. And uh, I guess when creating either the journal or this, this art event, did you work with any other groups here on campus? Or is this kind of more of a solo effort? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we definitely want to give shout-outs to the Council of Students with Disabilities and the RCPD. Um, they were huge helps to us in making this happen, and uh, definitely those are people we want to thank, as well as Natalie Phillips, who is our uh, faculty advisor, and she kind of just oversaw the whole thing and made sure everything was running smoothly, and we had a lot of help from then. And um, definitely uh, Mike Hudson from the RCPD, he helped mm-hmm. us help us out a lot too, So, and he, I think he'll be speaking there as well. So Sure. Yeah. Um, so be, beyond this uh, accessible art event, where are you seeing... The, the journal going in the future um well hopefully we can publish it you know get get some libraries to buy it and mm-hmm. uh you know um distribute it as far as we can and and uh you know just we want to expose this type of this artwork to um to the public and and show them that there is no um barriers when it comes to the creative process and mm-hmm. vi- visual disabilities don't affect that if anything you know they improve it so uh, we're just kind of fighting the 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 fact that people think that um, when you're disabled that you can't create uh, creative works, and that's our main goal. So sure. And uh, are you planning for like a second installment of the journal? Or is... I mean, if all goes well, absolutely. Yeah, we're gonna keep doing what we're doing, and hopefully there'll be many more volumes to come after this. Yeah. Um, and again, uh, just a reminder. Uh, the journal, is that, again, also filled with student works here? Or is that uh, more of like a community-based? There's, uh, It's community-based. There's student work. There's, you know, people of all ages with all different types of disabilities are in this work of art. So I encourage everyone uh, that it's there for them So mm-hmm. to, to have. Now, uh, how can other students get involved if they want to start working with the, the journal? Um, well, uh, we have a website, and... On the website, it has our, you know, who we are, pictures of us, and our email that you can email and just shoot mm-hmm. us an email, and it, we will 100% love to have you. So, mm-hmm. and uh, what, what's your website? Exceptionsjournal.com. All right, and uh, so I guess let's do just one final rundown here of uh, the event coming up. Okay. So, date, time, where, everything. Okay, so the accessible art event is going to be held at the Eli and Edith um, Art Broad Art Museum. And uh, it's going to be on April 14th from 7 to 9 p.m. It's open to the public. And um, there's going to be a lot of great art there and I think a lot of great people. And it's just going to be a, a really beneficial experience for anyone who comes. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything else that you wanted to discuss today that we might have not covered? Uh, just a thank you to Robin Silverglide and Elisa Enriquez. Uh, those are the two professors that, you know, their students are the ones that made this art and made the poems and mm-hmm. and helped us make this all happen. So we want to thank them, and we just hope that uh, this is a beneficial experience for anyone who comes out. Sure. Now, well, this has been uh, Phil Olson here, the assistant editor over from the Exceptions Journal. Thank you for coming in today, Phil. Thank you very much for having me. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rezel. You can join the conversation online by tweeting us at impact underscore exposure. Again, that is impact underscore exposure. 
Up next, we have my interview with Derek Blaylock, and now he is biking for Tommy's Heart, and he'll explain that in just a moment. But he will be traveling all the way to Indianapolis for uh, Friday's game. He'll be taking a massive 250-mile trip here from Lansing all the way over to Indianapolis, and later this summer, a uh, Forrest Gump-like uh, journey that he'll be taking all the way across the nation, nearly 7,000 miles, beginning right now. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rezel, and I'm here with Derek Blaylock. And uh, how about you go ahead and just introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Derek Blaylock. I'm an advertising senior here at State, and uh, um, I love sports. And um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And uh, well, where are you from? Um, I'm from uh, Flushing, Michigan. I graduated there. Um, my family currently lives in South Carolina right now, though. Sure. Um, from all over, lived in five different states, so uh, I've been all over the place, I guess. Mm-hmm. So. And, and you just mentioned now that, that you love sports, and uh, so naturally I have to ask, were you expecting Michigan to make, or Michigan State, rather, to make to the Final Four? I thought uh, if we beat Virginia, I said we would, but... Yeah. I have them in my Final Four in my bracket, but sure. I, I was more of a fan kind right. of thing. <laughs> uh, I thought we could beat Virginia, but I thought uh, after last uh, last season when we took them down, Virginia would not lose because we knocked them out as a one seed. So um, definitely a surprise, but mm-hmm. I'm glad we are. So sure, yeah. I mean, I I don't personally I don't keep up with sports that much, but. Uh, um, I don't know. I was. I'll be honest. I was kind of surprised that they made it to Final Four. I. I think I had them on my bracket, but again, it was more of kind of like the fandom kind of thing, you know. Yeah, but. definitely. Like I'm. I'm just surprised the way some of our players have been playing lately. Because yeah. earlier in the season, I would not have expected Travis Trice to mm-hmm. go off like he did. But mm-hmm. it's exciting. Yeah. Definitely exciting. I mean, yeah, it's it's great for the school, you know. And uh, of course, so we're going to be in Indianapolis uh, later this week, and you have this 250 uh, <laughs> mile trip, correct? It'll yes. be starting tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's give some background about that. I guess the story behind the, the cause that you're biking for. Yeah, definitely. Well, this summer I'm biking uh, across America, 6,500 miles. Um, I planned the whole trip myself with help from my mom, of course. Um, but I kind of designed the whole route myself so I could go places I've wanted to see um, and things like that. But this trip tomorrow actually was a last-second thing. Um we won on Sunday, and um, sat- Sunday night, I just, it kind of hit me. Uh, we-, we knew we were going, uh, me and my friends, but uh, I was like, man, it's only 250 miles. Like, I could actually bike that because I don't have much to do at the end of the week anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm leaving after work tomorrow, and uh, I thought it was a great opportunity um, to kind of springboard into the summer because I was looking for something to kind of draw publicity and awareness for this mm-hmm. cause. And this kind of just fell in my lap and I, it was too big of an opportunity to not take advantage of it. So mm-hmm. um, I'm definitely excited. It's going to be a test um, for me because this is my first overnight trip I've done. Really? Um, so it's going to be a test and good preparation for the summer mm-hmm. um, to kind of show me what I need, what I don't need, what I need to do different. So um, I'm excited for it. Right. Now, uh, and I mean, I, I had to hold myself a little. Like as you said, it's only 250 miles. To me, that sounds like a nightmare. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, uh, I know I, I really admire your dedication there, you know. But um, so I guess, uh, you know, focusing on the cause here. So it's Bike for Tommy's Heart. So what, what's kind of the story behind this? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Well, senior year uh, high school, um, this kid, Thomas Smith, um, we were friends um, from eighth grade throughout high school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew his parents and stuff. So um, he passed away late January, our senior year of high school, uh, due to an in, uh, undiagnosed enlarged heart and kind of just took the community by storm. Just it was complete shock just because of the way uh, his personality was just always outgoing and um, always fun to be around and stuff. So um, when he passed, um, I created a T-shirt to help raise some money. I think we sold about 500 of them throughout the community and raised a lot of money. Wow. But then uh, me and my family kind of helped coordinate a spaghetti dinner. Um, that was definitely a great thing we were doing, but there was always a part of me wanting to do a little more. And uh, I got the idea um, a year later when I was out in Massachusetts at this sports summer camp. And it's uh, it's kind of funny, but I got the idea from Forrest Gump when he's... I was actually about to ask that. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's running across... It's one of my favorite movies. Sure. And uh, he's running across the country, just drops everything and just starts running. And I was like, that would be so cool to do. Like, obviously, I'm not going to be able to run because that's just way too hard. But uh, <laughs> uh, I saw some, like bike trips um when i was at msu my freshman year and uh-huh. uh it just kind of caught my eye and i was going to do some things for uh it's called bike and build it's um they bike every couple days and every couple days they stop and build a ha- uh, house for habitat for humanity so that caught my eye but uh then i was like why not do it myself um sure. make my own route do mm-hmm. my um own planning and do it for my own charity and stuff. And the charity I'm uh, raising this money for is actually called the Thomas Smith Memorial Foundation, um, or else Tommy's Heart. And it's run by his uh, parents and his brother, um, John, Mary, and uh, his brother, Jacob. So mm-hmm. um, they've been so supportive of this and um, can't wait for the actual trip to get started. It's, sure. it's going to be exhilarating and mm-hmm. uh Definitely tough. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that this is your first overnight trip. I mean, just like this week that you'll be doing this uh, this first trip over to Indianapolis. It'll be your first overnight trip that you're doing. Um, so I guess just beyond that, have you done anything of this scale before? Or just biking for a long distance? Uh, sure, yeah. No, I like, haven't. Um, to be honest with you, I've never been a huge biker. Really? Like, I, I've always enjoyed it. Um, but... There was something where just it caught my eye about just seeing the country like this, and uh, I was like biking. I mean, I've always liked biking. I just never, I've never had anyone to like go with, and sure, sure. never really had the money to like get a fancy bike or anything. So uh, it was something I kind of wanted to do, and yeah, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, that's I don't know. I guess that, that interests me. You know that you're. Really going pretty right off the bat here with us, you know? Yeah, and, uh, uh, it's it's kind of it came up last second, and uh, some people are just like, "Are you gonna be able to like do that right like right now?" I'm like, "Yeah, like I've been biking outside a lot. Um, like Michigan winter was mm. pretty cold, so I can't do much <laughs> outside. I I was biking a lot inside though. Um, sure. Over Christmas break, I hit it really hard, mm. um, but." That's why I'm excited to do this trip because it's a test, um, a big test for myself and um, 
I'm excited for it. Yeah, so the, this trip that you'll be doing uh, tomorrow over to Indianapolis, so you're kind of seeing it as well, like a test, kind of like a stepping stone. Yeah, definitely. For the, and, uh, the bigger trip. It's only three days, so it's not like um, I still have a month and a half or, yeah, a month and a half to right. prepare for the actual trip where I'll be biking pretty mm-hmm. much every day. And uh, it's a good stepping stone because, like I said earlier, it just gives me something to pre- – uh, gives me something so I can prepare, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, now, time-wise, so I know the smaller trip will only take, you said, about three days or so because mm-hmm. you'll make it in time uh, for the game. Uh, but as far as this uh, summer trip goes, how long are you expecting? Because it's uh, you know, nearly 7,000 miles, right? Yeah, definitely. Um well, I gave, I designed the route and I gave it to my mom and she was like, well, I'm just going to uh, line up places for you. So I was like, all right, well, mm. that's fine. So she knows where I'm going to be pretty much every day. And uh, I know I'm starting May 18th and I know she has me done by August 1st, basically. Right. Um, so I'm starting in Charleston, South Carolina and... Uh, ending in Greenville. Um, I, that's where my family is uh, living right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm ending there. And I interned out with the minor league baseball team there two summers ago. And I know the MSU alumni groups down there. Sure. Um, I've went to several game watches over breaks. And um, I know them w- really well. And they're going to help me out. And I think they're going to plan a little um, coming home thing mm-hmm. uh, in Greenville. Um with the three local alumni groups down there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, about two and a half months. Um, I know I have two days where – or two periods where I'm taking three days off. Um, that will be in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. I interned there last year for the minor league team there. So I actually have an event out there on a Friday, June 19th, um, where I can get a table. I'll be throwing out the first pitch, uh, doing a radio interview as well. Uh-huh. Um, then I'll be doing a three-day break in Dallas. Um, once again, I have uh, friends in the area and sure. stuff. So um, it'll be – There, those are two good uh, times, like about a month apart to ride and give yeah, me a yeah. good break. So, mm-hmm. so th- this entire time that you'll be traveling, will you be doing a mix of like – you know, like backpacking, like camping style, and then also like staying with friends and family. Are you doing hotels? That's I, I kind think of... that is what I'm going to be doing. Um, I think mostly camping, but I know mm-hmm. my mom has uh, made a lot of contacts um, sure. with people along the way. Like some people we do know, and some people she just like met randomly right. and like <laughs> uh, who, like through friends and stuff. So it's not like complete strangers. Sure. But uh, yeah. Uh, I'll actually be sleeping in this like one person tent, kind of small, but mm-hmm. it's like the size, it folds up into the size of like a, a large soup can. So it's really sure. small, lightweight. And uh, I'm hoping to get some help from uh, like the alumni groups as well along the way. Um, I haven't quite reached out to them yet, but that's one of my uh, plans is to reach out and hopefully they'll uh, help support me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, speaking of, of soup cans. So what, what are you thinking food wise for this trip? Right? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a couple different options. I know, uh, Subway, um, already got me a discount or, uh, gift card. And that was really early on. That sure. was like right when I, uh, 
that was probably December before I even announced it publicly and stuff. And, um, like most of the time I'll be eating like probably like soup and, uh, there's other, um, kind of like meal replacement things that I can eat. And, uh, there'll be a variety of different options, I guess. Um, so Mm -hmm. now, um, I guess like kind of on a related note, have you gone camping before? Yeah. Okay. Uh, when I was younger, so you have we, some experience here. Okay. Yeah. When I was younger, <laughs> we used to go camping all the time, um, okay. tent and in a trailer. So like I'm very familiar with okay. it, and uh, um, so that's that's fine for me. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, it's good to hear. And uh, you know, God bless the mothers out there for setting up these kind of things. Yeah, right? <laughs> for real. Like I couldn't do it without her. She has been so helpful and. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, a little, a little nagging at times, just, <laughs> but that's what you need to be basically, because exactly. I mean she's trying to plan out every single detail, so uh, I definitely mm. thank God for yeah. her. So yeah. <laughs> now, so let's say someone else out there, maybe a friend, random person, someone tuned in right now, maybe, um, wants to do a trip of this caliber. What would be kind of the advice that you would give them to get started on something like this? Uh, don't doubt yourself. Like there's many times where I doubted myself and I just went for the easier road to get internships and people have doubted myself. Uh, like early on, I was telling people about the trip, not a lot of people. So I didn't like fall short if it didn't actually come true, but they were like, all right, well, we'll believe it when we see it. And, um, so don't doubt yourself. And, honestly just keep riding basically there's days where i'm just like man i do not want to ride today mm-hmm. and uh i just like i'm like there's only two months left i have to basically just kind of push yourself and um the way the reason like that it got set in stone like my mom just kind of up and bought my bike for me so i was like well kind of have to do it now right. like it's too <laughs> late for this then uh when I announced in February to like all my, like I created the Facebook page and Twitter account, like I was like, you you just have to do it basically. Right. Like you can't back down now because like I don't like to quit. So mm-hmm. um, especially when I've told hundreds of people about it, like just kind of push myself to keep doing it, and um, definitely the support from my uh, family because uh, they've kind of been a good support for me um mm-hmm. just kind of for me to keep pushing and stuff so um don't doubt yourself push yourself and yeah I, yeah yeah well, <laughs> absolutely incredible and uh you mentioned the facebook and twitter so you have some social media running for this yeah definitely and i was kind of surprised by it yesterday because uh since the indie trip was so short notice and stuff mm-hmm. um i kind of just hit up a couple people like Scott Westerman, and he retweeted me within a couple minutes. I got a lot of follows, a lot of media requests and stuff. So, and that was like in less than an hour. I was like just amazed about how many people uh, were so supportive of it and Mm -hmm. were giving me retweets and follows and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I have a Twitter. Um, It's at Biking for Tommy. And for this trip for Indy, I'm using hashtag Final Four by Bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also have a Facebook page. Um, I think it's Biking for Tommy, uh, Tommy's mm-hmm. Heart. And I'm using my Instagram, so it's just um, easier that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, along the way, I 
plan on documenting it. Um, hopefully I can uh, get some videos as well, um, short little videos I can post as well. Um, so definitely look out for that along the way. Sure. And uh, yeah, I'll, I expect to do around 40 or 50 miles, hopefully more like 50, 55 on Wednesday um, before it gets too dark. Mm. And uh, then on Thursday and Friday, I hope to finish it or be – pretty close to Indy um, by Friday night, like 20 miles or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that'll probably give me like 90 miles each on Thursday and Friday, probably more like 100. Um, so it'll be a, a really good test for those two days. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that I just uh, thought of, I just thought of something that I, you know, I didn't think of asking earlier, but let's say you go out biking and the weather just takes a turn for the worse. What's, what's your plan of action? Just well, uh, it's supposed to be kind of rainy on sure. Thursday. It's supposed to be like 70, but I know it's supposed to um, be a little rain, but I'm, I'm powering through Don't it. Don't doubt just, yourself. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm powering through it because uh, there'll be days on the trip where I'm probably going to have to ride through the rain to make it to a certain point by the, right. uh, a certain time. So, I mean, why not start now? Basically. Yeah. Sure. Now, uh, so for those our, our listeners out there that are interested in uh, donating to uh, the bike for Tommy's heart cause, uh, where where can they go? Yeah, definitely. You can go on my uh, website. It's uh, bikefortommy'sheart.com, or you uh, we have a GoFundMe as well. Um, I think that's Bike for Tommy as well. Um, so there's a couple of different ways. Or um, if you go on my website and you want to just send a check to, we have a PO box set up in uh, uh, South Carolina, so you can do that as well. Um, if that's your preferred method of payment. So uh, there's a couple different ways. Um, mm -hmm. So those are a few. So All right. Yeah, was there uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about before we head out today? Don't be afraid to spread the word to your friends and stuff. So mm -hmm. Great. Well, uh, Derek, uh, thank you so much for coming in today. Got an incredible thank you for story. having me, definitely. Yeah, and uh, best of luck on your trip, and uh, we'll see you on the show next week. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're tuned to Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. You can join the conversation online by tweeting and following us at Impact underscore Exposure. Up next, we have an interview done by our Impact music reporter and lovely communications director, Mackenzie McNeil, with Circle Waves, a British band from across the pond. I am Mackenzie here with Impact 89 FM. I am on the phone with Kieran of Circa Waves. Kieran, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm doing very good as well. Can you tell us a little bit about Circa Waves? Sure, yeah. Circa Waves are a band from Liverpool. We formed about two years ago. And uh, we play rock and roll music. <laughs> you guys are at South by Southwest right now, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We're about six shows into South by Southwest and we're all having a good time. Yeah, six out of how many shows are you guys playing there? Uh, we're doing about eight. How has that experience been for you guys so far? It's funny. It's good. Like, you sort of wake up and you're half asleep and you're so drunk and then you have to <laughs> go. And then after that, you've done with the show and then you've got loads of stuff going on. It's really, it's it's good. It's quite a sort of, mm -hmm. out, it's like an out-of-body experience. You don't really know what's going on until after you've done it. So it's it's cool. We're enjoying it. Yeah, it seems very intense. I've never been. I've always wanted to go. Um, it seems really, really crazy. What's the craziest thing that you guys have seen so far there this year? Um, I don't know. Like, there's there's a road called Sixth Street, which is just like loads of drunken high Americans just <laughs> all going crazy and fighting and drinking and listening to music. And we walked through there a few times, and that was 
that's pretty insane. But uh, you know, it's uh, nothing we've done it we haven't seen before. Uh, how have you guys been able to play any shows in America before, or is this kind of your first first run? Uh, this is. I mean, we we played a festival called CMJ in New York, where we did about three or four shows. Um, but this is our first sort of time in in Texas, Austin. So it's um, you know, it's been pretty good. So we we will be back in America, I think, hopefully sometime in the summer. Gotcha. What's the biggest, like, cultural differences that you've noticed since being over here? Yeah, I mean, all your food, all the food that you keep giving us gives me heart attacks. <laughs> uh, I need to, I just want some vegetables. Yeah. Maybe some soup, you know. It's, um, it's ridiculous the amount of barbecue food they've got over here. So we, we haven't eaten any, any fruit or vegetables in about seven days now. <laughs> yeah, that's... If get home, I'm going to get some and that'd be good. Yeah, that's America for you, especially in Texas. Um, what do you guys miss the most? I'm a barbecue, sir, yeah. Yeah. What do you guys miss the most about um, being in Liverpool? What do, I, what do I miss the most? Yeah. Um, not much, really, to be honest. It's, uh, just, we, uh, we don't spend much time in Liverpool at the moment. But, uh, you know, we're fine with that because we've all been there for many years. So we, we've seen it and done it. Liverpool's only very small. Mm-hmm. So once you've lived there for, for like 20-odd years like me, uh, you know, you're happy to happy to carry on and, and, and travel the world, really. So I don't, I don't miss much, apart from a girlfriend, really. That's about it. All right. Well, your new album, Young Chasers, is coming out in a little over a week. Can you tell us a little bit about that album? Yeah, sure. Um, we recorded it last summer in London in a place called Rack Studios and um, it was really cool it took us about five weeks um, and we just sort of recorded it all live in one big room and um, yeah just made it sound like our live shows really but like a little bit smaller and tighter and the drum kits were all like recorded in like small chambers and stuff so it was um, it was really fun and I think people were going to love it you know it sounds like our live show so there's a lot of energy in there do you have a favorite track off of that album? Um, at the moment, it's a track called Talking Out Loud, which is a sort of slacker, sort of uh, pavementy vibe tune. Um, just really relaxed and like sort of like a big chorus. Mm-hmm. I think people are going to love that track. It's really fun to play live as well because it's a nice, nice. nice chill-out moment. So the album release is probably one of the biggest things you guys have been looking forward to, something that's been building up for a while. Once that comes out, do you guys have any plans for afterward? Yeah, I mean, we're going to do like a UK tour and a European tour, and then we'll come back over to America at some point and do a tour and um, just sort of spread the word and our circles, really, and just try and essentially take over the world with our music and play as many venues as possible and get as many fans as possible, really, and just just have a, a fun time, really. Nice. Do you guys have like a dream venue that you'd like to play at? Um, the Greek Theater in America would be awesome. Um, Madison Square Garden. Why? Why not? I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Those sort of places, you know. I believe that is all I have for you. Thank you for taking the time out of your South by Southwest schedule to talk to us. Not a problem. Have a great night. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Razel. You can join the conversation online by tweeting and following us at Impact underscore Exposure. Up next, we have my interview with A.J. Moser, a student of many hats, 
a DJ here at Impact 89 FM, along with a co-host with me, actually, for Torch and Twang, works at State News, and now the owner, the filmer of Bagelgate 2015. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rizal, and I'm here with uh, AJ Moser, a fellow impactor here. How about you just go ahead and introduce yourself, AJ? Uh, the name is AJ Moser, and as Daniel said, I am a fellow impactor here. I uh, host on Wednesday mornings from 8 to 10 if you want to hop in and give a listen. I also help Daniel out with Torch and Twang, which will be coming up right next for you, actually. Mm-hmm. And you also work over at the State News, correct? I sure do, yes, sir. And uh, what, what do you do over there? What do you report on? Right now, I am on the uh, East Lansing City Beat. I spend a lot of my time talking to the uh, kind of officials from East Lansing, the mayor, the city manager, lots of city council members, and just sort of going over development projects and sort of uh, all the legal things that are happening here in our fair city. Sure. And uh, what were some of the stories that you've reported on recently? Well, let's see. Uh, this week, I've been working on a two-part interview with Nathan Triplett, our mayor, who is uh, currently announced his re-election for city council in the fall. He's actually the youngest mayor we've ever had here in East Lansing, and him and I kind of went over some of the development projects that he's liked and disliked about East Lansing and sort of how we accommodate the city uh, for students and for lifelong residents who maybe didn't go to MSU or graduated a long time ago. Sure. Now, so you are at Cedar Village uh, this past Sunday following the the our entrance into Final Four. Um, so I guess kind of give us a rundown of what your experience is like over there. Well, let's see. I was uh, on Sunday afternoon. I was watching the game in uh, the basement of Snyder Hall where I live. And uh, with, with big games like this, we're always working at the news. We're always kind of on watch, on edge, sort of saying we've seen this in the past. We've seen when we win a big game such as this one, people like to get out in the streets and like to celebrate. And as most MSU students know, it's kind of infamous now to take to the streets of Cedar Village, and uh, especially with burning couches. We're always on watch for burning couches. <laughs> and so they kind of say, you know, I get texts from my editors saying, this game is looking like it's coming to a close. We're probably going to win. I want people in Cedar Village as soon as possible. And so I believe we were up by six, and there was about 10 seconds left in the game. I said to myself, it's time to get over there. So it's just kind of a hop step across the street, and people are already coming out. I hear air horns, and I see police vans up in the parking garage. And I say to myself, this is probably going to be a big one. Even though there was hail and snow and kind of rain and sleet coming down on Sunday afternoon, you could just feel the energy as soon as you walked over there to Cedar Village. You said, yep, people know that this is about to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, recently, a a video of yours went viral of of Michigan State students tossing bagels into there. So what what was it like, I guess, being there in that moment? Like, why, why are people throwing bagels? I honestly couldn't tell you why people were throwing bagels and that may become one of the biggest mysteries in uh, MSU's history, especially (laughs) under a national standpoint. We might become the school that throws bagels into the air when we win a football game, a basketball game, anything from this point on, just because the way this has blown up, I've really never, I've never experienced anything personally like this kind of, what I was doing there was just sort of taking pictures and videos to try and capture the scene for people, maybe MSU students who are out of town, MSU students who weren't near Cedar Village, and kind of bringing it to you know, a global scale in some way because we start getting retweets from all these national news networks. I've got Time uh, retweeted my thing. It was featured on BuzzFeed, ESPN, SportsCenter, SB Nation, kind of picking this up. And the the driving point was, why are we throwing bagels into the air? Right. And it, it was very puzzling. I, I myself was kind of looking out in the street, and I had to ask someone standing next to me. I said, are those hockey pucks? Are those magnets? <laughs> what are those? And they go, I think those are bagels. And I looked to myself. I say, yeah, those those are bagels. <laughs> my, my personal just kind of guess to the whole situation is someone 
was working at a Sparty's or a Brugger's or a Tim Hortons or a Dunkin' right before the game got out and kind of had the batch mm-hmm. of bagels that they were getting rid of in the morning and said, ah, I'll take these with me. What the heck? And kind of ended right. up in Cedar Village. And the rest is history. Huh. Incredible. Now, so back to this, you know, this video, this footage of yours that went viral. Now, I guess, could you say that you expected that to happen? Or is this just completely out of the blue? You check your Twitter and it's just I mean, as, as it was happening, everything I was posting was getting a lot of attention because I was just kind of on the scene trying to keep people updated. You know, I was there when the crowds were forming. I took pictures of that. I was there when they started chanting, go green, go white. Right. Kind of trying to get videos of that out there so people could understand what the atmosphere was like. The bagels one just sort of happened to be one that I captured and thought, people might be interested in this and kind of posted it up. But as the afternoon went on, it just kept going and going and going. I think it's sitting around 500 retweets or something right now. And, you know, I posted videos probably for like two hours straight of just the whole celebration. But that's the one that really caught on. And I think think the reason it's gained so much attention is because it's such a strange way to celebrate and sort of – we've never really heard of it before. But I think something people are also interested in it is in situations like this when we've won a big game before in the past and students take to the street uh, burning couches and mobs and kind of like disagreements with the police sometimes arise. And this was sort of the energy here was nothing like that. It was just bagels being thrown into the air, everyone Mm -hmm. kind of cheering and being happy. And I think it's it's important that this has picked up so much attention because where in the past people have kind of looked to East Lansing and said, oh, look at those drunk MSU students out in the street burning couches celebrating forming a huge mob now it's just kind of look at these students throwing bagels celebrating in a way that's (laughs) not harmful to anyone except maybe you know lovers of breakfast food right (laughs) now how did how did the police react to the bagels being thrown did they just stand there and watch did they run after them well you know i mean kind of in the in the center of the i guess you call it a crowd that gathered that was sort of right in the middle of the street there was just this huge kind of mass of people almost like a mosh pit and you start just seeing the bagels coming up and up and up and up and it it looked like it was raining bagels to be perfectly honest and i think the only the only time people were kind of talked to by the police or even you know taken into police custody is when they were throwing them at the police that's what the uh press release that they released said was people were arrested for hurling objects at the police and so i think the police didn't mind that at all, and the only time the police kind of jumped into action is when I think a sweater that was lit on fire was kind of thrown into the street. That's when they said, we're going to break up the crowds now. People need to move because now this has become a hazard. But honestly, with the bagels and the the chanting and the celebrations, it went on for 35 to 40 minutes maybe, just sort of people moving back and forth and chanting and yelling and celebrating. Mm-hmm. And the police were watching, but they kind of – you got the sense that it was they were there – for precautions and not with the intent to bust anything up, you know? Right. Sure. Now, uh, I believe it was uh, maybe two or three weeks ago now, um, we had uh, a girl named uh, Marisa Martini who's on the Celebrations Committee here uh, at MSU. And the idea of the Celebrations Committee is that they, I guess, provide alternatives uh, for students to celebrate in events like these, um, you know, rather than going out and burning couches, for example, or doing anything that might, be destruction of property or destruction to themselves or other people. And uh, have did you happen to hear anything from the celebrations committee about anything that happened on Sunday, including the the you know bagel gate? I haven't talked to them at all, but I know that um, ASMSU, the Associated Students of Michigan State University, our undergraduate student body, 
government kind of organized a watch for people at the Breslin Center as an alternative to kind of hopefully keep people out of the streets for afterwards. But right. And then they've uh, released a statement since kind of just sort of dis disowning, I guess, the students kind of reprimanding them a little bit for saying, uh, maybe we don't want to bring this national attention to MSU's campus for being the school that goes out of control every time we win a big game. Right. But an, in- an interesting issue that's brought up, and I, f- I for one, can't even uh, make sense of it myself, is do we call these riots or just a celebration? And I think we've refrained from using the words riot just because it, if you look at it, it's much more of a celebration, and there's no intent for anyone to be harmed. And there's the design of the atmosphere is just to be kind of welcoming and celebrating, and it's much more happy than anything else. There's no motive other than kind of congratulating our basketball team and getting everyone excited for the Final Four game that's coming up this weekend. And so to call it a riot, I think, is something else entirely, which of these were not. Sure. Okay. Now... You know, I've only got a, a couple more questions here for you today, and uh, one of which was, uh, you know, I've, I've got to ask: Were you predicting our win on Sunday? I knew, I knew we were going to pull through. Really? I, I was, uh, I was watching it with a group of friends in the basement there, and I called the overtime. I just said, I have, I have a feeling about this going to overtime. Sure. And uh, when that happened, I was like, all right, um, I'm getting a little worried, but we just kind of we took control in overtime, and I can't really tell you what happened. I'm sure it's. Tom Izzo and the whole team just kind of getting excited and saying we're making it to the Final Four this year, and this is as, this is the last chance we have. This is as close as we've come. Right. And yeah, I never had any doubts. And if you look at my bracket, I which, was going to ask. I was yes. going to ask who do you, who do you have winning your bracket? The championship. The whole thing. I have MSU winning. The really? Whole thing. So oh, okay. of course I was behind us the whole time. I had us playing Duke too, and I have us beating Kentucky by two points in the championship. So I guess we will just have to see what happens. Wow. I mean, I. I got to hand it to you there with uh, your dedication to the school. Some people are kind of iffy in the, the final four. Some people four. were kind of iffy. I'm, but I'm sure most of the student body doesn't have us here if they were serious about their bracket. But Right. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, in my bracket, which is now dead because my my champion is gone now. But I, I did have MSU in the final four for my bracket, so I've got that much to brag about. But Very good. Um, so, you know, I got that much going for me. But, yeah, I guess yeah, good for you for your <laughs> for your uh, school spirit. Now, um. And uh, so just one more question for you today, but are you afraid that your legacy here at State will be the kid that filmed the Bagel Fest? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I think that's it's a very 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. I, was, sure. I woke up yesterday and I was getting you know, text messages of pictures from my parents saying, this was the Today Show this morning and there's my Twitter icon in the corner and this is on Time Magazine and there's my video embedded on their website and it's just kind of... I didn't expect the video to blow up that much. I thought this is something funny that people will attach to and kind of maybe mm-hmm. bounce around these spheres here at MSU for a little bit. And uh, it's kind of fun being the person who got that video that's now infamous that right. a lot of people have seen. But sort of for me, for AJ Moser as the person, uh, besides the people who know me, sort of, I don't think there's going to be any long lasting effects of this. But we don't know with MSU what's going to kind of catch on. As a cultural thing, if this bagel celebration becomes a tradition, I might, you know, I might go down in the books, but we'll just have to see how it all turns out. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story for sure, and I, you know, I'm glad you were there to capture it. So uh, this has been Daniel Rizel here with A.J. Moser, uh, state news reporter, Impact DJ, as well as uh, the filmer of the inf- infamous 
Bagelgate 2015. Maybe there'll be a, a, a sequel next year or something. You could we start a whole know. film series. I could, Bagelgate. yeah. Well, uh, th- thank you for coming in today, AJ. Thank you. You're tuned into Exposure here on Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Daniel Rizal. And by my side, we have Quinn Hoffman, who will be introducing our final segment today. This is Michigan Storytellers. This is the segment where Michiganders and students, just like you, come on and tell their true, interesting, funny, or important stories. Tonight on the show, we have Hannah Schult with her story of falling in love with spoken poetry. I'd first like to start by saying that I am deeply afraid of moths, math, open heights, failure, and it used to be poetry and public speaking as well. But since I was in high school, that's not been a problem anymore. In fact, I enjoy both of those things. But I used to think that poetry was the stupidest thing ever, because whenever we talked about it in class, it was very calculated and kind of sterile I guess when rhyme scheme and all that and I just had no interest in it and with public speaking which I think a lot of people probably would relate to this it's terrifying to stand up in front of your peers and have to give a presentation and you're supposed to be interesting and engaging your audience and it's a lot to handle especially if you're someone who's very self-conscious like I am but more so was when I was younger. But combined poetry and public speaking, that was a combination that I wanted nothing to do with. So I was not very happy when in my ninth grade English class, my teacher, Mr. Keese, told us that we were doing a poetry unit. And at the end of the poetry unit, we would be required to recite a poem to the class. And I did not know where to start with that. He had us pick poems from poem books that he had laid out, and I was already not interested and didn't really know where to start, but I found a book of Edgar Allan Poe poetry, and I thought, hey, that's a good place to start because that's at least something I recognize, so let's just read Annabelle Lee and get this over with. But it turns out that I could not do that because somebody else had already claimed that poem. So I randomly chose to Helen, and I began that process of memorizing and getting to know that poem, which was quite the experience because that poem contained a lot of vocabulary that I wasn't familiar with, and it confused me because I didn't really know where he was going with things a lot of the time, but I think I figured it out. And through that process, I grew to actually appreciate poetry more because I figured out once I had decoded the message of the poem, so to speak, that poetry is basically just saying something that's been said a million times before, but saying it in a way that's never before been said. So for example, there's countless love poems out there that you can read but it's not possible to take two of those love poems and have them be identical because that's the entire idea is to say it in a way that no one's ever heard before and I just thought that was the coolest thing but articulating that to my class was the challenge 
when I had to give my presentation, I was standing up in the front of the class and it was like I'd forgotten everything that I memorized and I was staring at the ceiling hoping that the next line was going to come to me. And I thought all my classmates thought I was an idiot because I didn't know what I was talking about, but I don't really think they were paying attention anyway. But regardless of how awful the presentation was, that experience of reading the poem and getting to know it kind of sparked my interest in poetry in general. Um, I started reading more poetry and even writing my own And I started to figure out which poets I liked best and the styles that I liked best. And it was it was really great for me. So my senior year, this was like four years after that to Helen experience, I decided that I was going to try out for Poetry Out Loud. And if you don't know what Poetry Out Loud is, it's this competition for high schoolers where they recite the works of other poets in their own way. So I tried out and my ninth grade teacher, Mr. Keast, was the sponsor, which I thought made the whole thing even funnier. So whatever twist of fate it was, I somehow made it through the audition and I got on the list of official participants. And I was really happy because I never imagined that I would actually take that step to try out and see my name on the list and get to do what I had admired people doing for all those years. But then I kind of panicked because I realized I was going to have to really overcome the whole public speaking issue. For our first rehearsal, we were told to have partial memorization of our poems and to come in and just kind of see where we were at. And I honestly took that as glance over your poems and just wing it. So that's what I did. So I walked onto the stage and I did not know what to do. I had to adjust my mic and I no one ever told me how to do that. And there were lights coming at me and I couldn't see. And I was just, I hardly had anything memorized. So I'm standing there petrified with like, two lines that I'm stumbling over. And so Mr. Keyes stops me and he goes, okay, first of all, you don't have to be nervous because it's just us and we're all here for the same thing. But more importantly, I think you think that this is all about memorization and that's what's tripping you up because memorization is only a part of it. And that didn't really make sense to me because here I'm thinking like, okay, I had to memorize this. This is the whole idea and that's what's important so I didn't really know what to do with what he said but what he meant was anyone can memorize words and spit them back out but the point of poetry is to say something so you have to be able to understand what the poem is saying and articulate that back to the audience And that was something that I'd never really done before, at least not out loud. So I tried, and I think I was pretty successful. That's kind of the mindset that I take now, like when I read poetry. I try to get into the head of the narrator or the author or whatever the case is, because I feel like you can't really get the whole experience of the poem if you 
don't understand where it's coming from. So I think that's a very important thing that I learned because that helps me appreciate everything I read more. For the competition, I was very, very nervous. So what how the competition worked is each participant had two poems and it would go the first round you'd read your first poem and then the second round you'd read your second. And I was like something like third to go. And for the first portion, I was so scared. I don't even know how I managed to stand up there and successfully speak words at all. But I, it was okay. I stumbled a lot and I was just really not comfortable yet. I was still like blocked by nerves, I guess you could say. And I guess if I could go back now, I would redo it and I would make myself get out of that mindset of fear because I don't feel like I did that poem justice at all. But the second poem I'm pretty proud of. Um, It's a poem that I still like today. It's called Immigrant Picnic by Gregory Janikian. So I really took my time, and I guess I just made myself get out of my own head and stop worrying about messing up or looking stupid or whatever because that was going to prohibit me from actually getting the message across that I wanted. So I could feel the audience getting the message because they were laughing and they were engaging in it. And that made me feel really good because I was, that meant that I was succeeding in what I wanted to do and which was something I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do. So that was a really amazing feeling for me. Um, I did not win the competition. (laughs) There were only 10 or even less than that contestants and I didn't even make top three, but it doesn't ma- really matter to me, and it didn't matter to me then because I'd done something that I doubted myself for, and that was just an incomparable feeling for me. That experience is something that's very important to me because, r- well, right now I'm on the MSU Slam team, and I share a lot of my own poetry now. That's If I had not tried out for Poetry Out Loud, I probably never would have gotten out of the mindset of being able to get myself comfortable in front of people, and I would still be self-conscious and reserved and stunted in my appreciation for the art of poetry, I think. But because I was able to put myself out there and overcome this fear that was almost crippling for me, I'm now able to stand in front of people and share, I guess you could say, secrets about myself because everything I write is very honest and open. And in this way, like, I'm able to invite people in and I guess do the same thing I was doing with Poetry Out Loud, basically articulate the message in a way that would make people understand where I'm coming from. And I'm very thankful that I did that because this is something that I can't imagine living without. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.